Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. Another week in lockdown. Listen, um, if you're a first-time guest, uh, my name is Mike. Welcome to Harvest Community Church Online. Uh, yeah, we have another week in lockdown, and, and uh, I know we're all eager to get out. I know I'm eager to get out. Uh, in June, in early June, uh, Harvest will begin, we'll still be online, but we will begin to meet together in our campuses uh, according to whatever common sense uh, says we should do. More details to come, okay? You'll get more details in time to know how we're going to go about that. But I wanted you to just to let you know that that is coming. The end is in sight. And today, I happen to have someone in the audience with me. My wife is actually in the room with me. And so if I say something funny, maybe she'll laugh and, and I'll get, and I'll know it was funny. Um, by the way, as a side note, for some of you think, does he sit around planning jokes? No, I don't. Um, my brain is a little bit zany. And if I don't keep it reined in, it starts telling me smart aleck comments. And sometimes they, they, they come all the way out of the mouth and uh, I don't know why. <sighs> Oddly that I'd start with humor because... This is a pretty serious subject today, and we're going to have to get down to work, and I want you to buckle your seatbelts for this one, because it's Mark chapter 10, verse 1 to 12, where Jesus deals with divorce, and a little bit with remarriage. <laughs> so this is a very serious subject. Let's look. If you have your Bible, open it to Mark 10, 1 to 12. If you don't have your Bible, you have a phone, open it up electronically, or go get your Bible. Here we go, Mark 10, 1 to 12. And Jesus left there, wherever there was, and went into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. So just a quick geographical note, he normally, he does a lot of his ministry up near his hometown in the northern area of Israel and Galilee, but he's come down to Judea, probably the area closer, not all the way, to Jerusalem, uh, somewhere near the Jordan River. And crowds gathered to him again, and again... As was his custom, he taught them. Jesus kept teaching everywhere he went. He probably taught a lot of the same things over and over because he taught different crowds in different places and they didn't have uh, audio recordings, so he would repeat himself. So as is custom, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. In verse 2, the Pharisees came up in order to test in the Pharisees, as we know her, or, or uh, priests who, who feel threatened by him because he comes from outside of their ring of power, if you will, and yet he has a lot of influence among the religious. And so they come to test him, and they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? That's the question that guides the rest of this text. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered, well, what did Moses command you? He answered their question with a question. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And you see what Jesus did there, he said, uh, he quoted Genesis when he said, um, God made them male and female, and therefore a man shall leave his father and mother to hold fast to his wife, and the two become one flesh. That's all in Genesis. But he added what God has joined together, 
Let no man separate. We hear that in weddings, and, and that was added by Jesus. Verse 10, and, the, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. So they're probably the day's ending. They're in a house where they're probably going to sleep. And the disciples say, hey, uh, can we chat about, about that teaching? And, and we just get two more verses on that, one more sentence. Jesus said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries, excuse me, and marries another, he com- she commits adultery. All right, that's our text. What I'd like to do is make a bunch of observations about the text and then look at implications about the text. So we've got a lot of work to do. We want to get rolling, right? Okay, number one, the first observation from the text is the Pharisees are seeking to test Jesus in order to trip him up. Let's notice that the Pharisees knew the answer to the question they asked. They came and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, they knew the, the, the question, the answer to the question, or they thought they knew the answer to the question that they asked. They were seeking to trip Jesus up in some way. It says right in the verse, they were seeking to test them. Now, Jesus was too smart for them. He returned their question with a question. He said, well, what did Moses say? Now, Moses is the lawgiver. He, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, where the law of Moses obviously is, And so what he says goes. So he said, well, what did Moses say? And that is an answer. Whatever Moses said goes. And they quoted Moses from Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, and and which says this. I'm going to read, quote to you the the verse that covers divorce in the law. You might think there's a lot in it because there's a lot in our law on divorce, but there isn't. There's a verse. And here's what it says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eye, because he has found some indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. That's it. That's all the teaching that Moses gives on divorce. That's the whole bit. And, and the word indecency is really the issue. If he finds in her some indecency, um, and the rabbis... Uh, all saw this as permission for a man to divorce his wife. And and obviously in a very patriarchal uh, culture, uh, it was rare for the wife to initiate the divorce, although it could happen. It was normally the husband who would handle that. And, and, And the rabbis all believed that divorce was, was okay. The law said it's fine. They did argue, but their argument was over how severe the offense had to be. The more conservative Pharisees, which is most of them, would say she has to do something sexually indecent, um, where others, uh, other, other Pharisees and teachers would say, no, it could be as bad as burning supper. If she burns supper, that's indecent. Um, you know, well, you know, that is kind of indecent, I guess. I don't know. And, and, and you could divorce your wife. The point is, though, they're trying to draw Jesus into this test. They want him to comment Why do they draw him in? We don't know. But perhaps, remember, Jesus taught all over Israel, and there's no doubt he repeated his teachings. Everywhere he went, he'd enter a village and he'd start over. And he had taught on marriage and and remarriage and divorce uh, before, and perhaps they knew that and they were trying to catch him being wrong. The second thing to note here is that the Pharisees focused on the exception not the rule. Jesus is going to correct hundreds of years of rabbinical law in one moment because their focus is wrong when they look at the Bible. The question they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus' answer was no. 
<laughs> he says, no, it's not lawful. Um, and then he says, but if he does divorce her, give her a certificate. His point was, from the beginning, God said, no, it's not lawful for you, man, to put your wife out. You've married her, you're one, you're going to stick together. But if you do that, because you might do that, because of the hardness of your heart, then this woman needs freedom from you. So give her a certificate so she is free to marry again. Because very often, not always, but very, very often, the wife's uh, standing in society, her ability to live in a family setting and to provide for herself it comes from being married. So he says, if you are going to put her out, give her a certificate. In other words, what Jesus said to them is this. No, it's not lawful for you to divorce your wife. But if you break the law of God, then give her a certificate, right? So, so he's saying, if you break the law, do this. What, what you people have been looking at as, as, as the law was really not the law. It was the exception. It was the commandment given for once you've already broken the law. Um, so Jesus uh, pointed to Moses as well as they did. They looked at Deuteronomy he looked at Genesis, a much more powerful text, I'd say. Number three thing to notice here is when a man or woman breaks the marriage to take another spouse, that person has committed adultery. Now, by the way, this, this more detailed explanation did not come to the Pharisees. That this, happened, this part happened in the house. The disciples said, could you tell us more? Um, uh, Divorce and remarriage was common in their day, as it is in ours. Uh, probably divorce was, I mean, it, go, Jesus did more to strengthen marriage than you can know. And if you don't believe it, go to a society that never had a Jesus, uh, or that doesn't respect the law of God. Um, and you will see how they handle marriage. Jesus strengthened marriage even today, even long after we live in a post-Christian culture, long after the influence, the strong influence of theism in our culture, still marriage does hold power in our law. Um, Jesus really strengthened uh, marriage. The, 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 the disciples wanted details because this could affect their lives whether they married or if they were married how long they stayed married what are you saying um, and so he said listen if, you, if you're thinking I'm going to dump my wife and get another wife you're committing adultery you're breaking one of the commandments so he's, he's taking something that was socially acceptable just to them the, the day before or the morning when they woke up the rabbi said you can divorce your wife and marry another no problem and Jesus is saying no you just broke one of the Ten Commandments. And so they were asking him about that. He doesn't say any more in this text. And so I'm going to refrain from saying more. But I do believe it's appropriate to give some bullet points on divorce and remarriage because many Christians in our culture today have found themselves in that exact situation by choice or not by their choice. And so I'm going to throw some bullet points out there without a lot of explanation, but just to try to answer some of the questions you have. If I get to the end of these bullet points and you still have questions, I want you to give them to me. Send them to me somehow and I will answer them. But for now, 
for Christians in remarriage today, principles from the Bible, one is, is it's not as simple as you'd like it to be. There are some who just want to say, no, Christians should never remarry no matter what happens unless their spouse dies. And others say, it's a free-for-all, there's grace. And, uh, and the answer, like all things, is I think it's a little less clear. It's case by case. It's not always as simple as you think. One rule doesn't fit all. Another bullet to point out is all sins are forgivable, including divorce. <laughs> um, divorce is not a permanent stain on you forever and ever. Uh, next, a person who remarried should remain so. Some people think, well, I, <laughs> I talked to somebody once on, after preaching on divorce many years ago and remarriage, and he came up to me and he said, well, you know, when I think about it, I was wrong in my first marriage, and then I remarried, so I was the adulterer, um, so I guess my second marriage is a, is a bad one. Maybe I should get out of it, was the implication. I'm like, no, no, you stay married. No matter what circumstances happened before, the Bible is clear that your current marriage is valid and you need to stay committed. This is your spouse. Don't go back to your old spouse. Um, next, a person abandoned by an unbeliever is free. Paul says this. If, if you get married and you're a Christian but your spouse is not and they're saying, I'm tired of this Christian stuff and they run off, the Bible says you're free. Free is not defined. Paul just says free. And again, we're in a gray area. Some with their conscience say, I'm free of that person but not to remarry. Others say, I'm free and I can remarry. I lean more towards the second. But uh, again, I don't want to go any deeper right now. Another thing to remember is in Matthew, Jesus gives an exception to this rule when he says, if a man divorces his wife and goes for another woman, it's, it's adultery unless it's for the cause of porneia. That's the Greek word porneia, and it's translated several ways. Um, it, it covers all sorts of sexual indiscretions, uh, obviously fornication, adultery, um, so there is an exception to this rule, too. If, 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 if a, wolf, a woman or a man goes, goes outside on the husband or wife, then they, they have an exception. They may divorce. Um, finally, two believers who separate should reconcile. If they can't reconcile because they just can't get along, then they should remain unmarried. Um, that's clear from Paul in the Scripture. Uh, now, at Harvest, we treat each case individually. Uh, our goal is always to strengthen the existing marriage, um, and we'll do all we can to do that. So that's a lot. Uh, I don't want to sit on divorce and remarriage. That's a controversial question. I don't mind teaching on it. I've taught on it before. I'm not afraid to teach on it. But I don't want to get us far away from our text today. I want to focus on what Jesus focused on here. So if you have questions, feel free to get them to me. I'll find a way to answer them, either privately or in public. Now let's get back to the text. Now we're going to turn to the heart of the matter. So we read the text. We did some observations on it. They're out of the way. We kind of touched on divorce and remarriage for Christians today. I'm going to set that aside. Now let's look at the heart of the matter, and that's Jesus' answer to the Pharisees. So let's go back to verse 6, 7, 8, and 9. Ready? Verse 6. From... But from the beginning, Jesus said to the Pharisees, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, that's the quote 
of Genesis, right? Now, everything else, Jesus adds. So, when he just read, what I just read to you in 6 and 7, when Jesus said those words, they were already 1,500 years old. He was quoting Moses. Now, in that moment, he's going to speak, he's going to add to that. Here's what he says. Since the two have become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. Okay? They're no longer two, but now they're one. So now he's using logic. He says, since the two become one, how do you separate one? And then he goes farther. He says, what therefore God has joined, let not man separate. All right. Implications of Jesus' teaching on marriage. Ready? Number one. Creation sets the pattern that Jesus expects us to follow for marriage. Creation sets the pattern. Jesus is arguing that God displayed his intent for marriage, not in Deuteronomy 24.1, when he said what to do when you hard-hearted sinners divorce your wife. He says his intent was in the creation. Right, it goes back to the beginning. Um, when he made all things, at that time, marriage was in the plan when there were two people. And this takes precedence over all else. So there's a grave importance to marriage and humanity. Um, th- this challenges the way we think today, right? Because for us, humanity and marriage are very separate in our thinking, right? Um, there's all kinds of relational um, situations you can commit to without being married now. And they can involve the opposite sex or the same sex or any sex. Um, and, but, and, and, and none of them do we see as marriage restricting. Right? You can, you can have a wife or a husband and have kids but never marry. <laughs> you can be married, change marriages. Uh, now, now that you can have uh, other strange arrangements. But... But what Jesus is saying is when God created husband, man and woman, he made them immediately husband and wife. That was their role right away. And therefore that takes precedence overall. Second implication is marriage is of primary importance in the human race. Coming off of the first, (laughs) we need to see that marriage is not a social convention. In other words, marriage did not Evolve. And marriage is not changeable. It is static. It remains the same. We have Adam and Eve, a man and a woman. They had no sin, all right? This was before they fell into sin. The intention of God was that the two would become one. And it would be exclusive to the two. Because when two become one, that's one. That's it. No more can be added on. That, that, that gets rid of uh, having multiple wives or multiple husbands, although no, almost no one ever does that, but having multiple wives. It gets rid of having uh, divorce and remarriage. And since they were sinless, there was no need to end this relationship. And then they were to have children. And the children, when they grew, said the, it said they, for this cause they shall leave their father and mother. And the the implication of that command being right there at creation, that children should leave their father and mother to enter into this unity, 
is that marriage is a more primary relationship than parent and child. You can see why divorce twists everything up because normally it's a parent coming saying, well, mommy and daddy don't love each other that much anymore, but don't worry, we love you. And what they've done is they've inverted the importance, right? So the child loving the parent is very important. The parent loving the child's important. But that's second to marriage because the child grows up and marries. And, and then it says he leaves mother and father. In other words, Many years later, when Moses would give the law, he'd say, one of the commandments is honor your father and your mother. So that's one of the Ten Commandments, but that comes second, (laughs) right? You see, that comes second because the child grows up and leaves father and mother. Father and mother can say, no, we want you to do what we say. He says, no, I've left you. I now have a wife, and, and that's the number one relationship. By the way, there's many implications to that. If your kids got married, leave them alone to figure it out. Quit trying to run them. Uh, if you're, I, I won't go down that road, but there's a lot of implications. Um, but one thing marriage is not is it's not an evolutionary process. And, and this is important because people today think everything evolved, and once there were cavemen, and the cavemen... <laughs> They, they didn't have marriage because they were unsophisticated. All they knew were words like ugh. And, um, you know, all you know is words like ugh. It's hard to get through a marriage ceremony. Um, you know, it's like throg. Ugh, 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 ugh. You may ugh your bride. You know, you, you, can't, you can't get very far with that. And so what, listen, I was at a wedding. Was it last summer, two summers ago? And, and I told the feminist view, and, and this is not the only feminist view, I want to be fair to feminists, they don't just have one bad idea on marriage, they have lots of bad ideas. But one of their bad ideas, one of the theories was men would wander around, cavemen, <laughs> early men, they would wander around raping whoever they wanted to rape. And so for a woman to get protection, she would run to one man and say, I want to be yours alone so these other men will stop raping me. And so marriage, therefore, was not a beautiful union of a man and a woman. It was simply a woman selling herself to a man in order to protect herself from other men. And that that convention itself was enslavement for the woman. And I said this at a wedding, and my wife told me you should never use the word rape in a wedding ceremony. And I guess I really am more of a caveman than I know because I still don't understand the problem with that. The thing is, that's a bunch of garbage. That's a bunch of garbage. Marriage did not evolve. It was set in stone by God when he made two humans, man and woman. Um, So it's very important in the human race. Third implication is male and female are from the beginning. Male and female. Male and female. Gender is not a spectrum, right? (laughs) You know, if you're a man and you like the color pink, it does not make you part female. You're just a male who's going to get teased more, perhaps, but you're still a male. If you're a female and you like to climb trees with the other boys, you're still a female. There is male and there is female, and that's it. And both share the image of God. This is revolutionary to the world because it says might does not make right. Why are women often mistreated in culture after culture? You know, why can can Muslim men in Muslim countries beat their wives in public? Because they're more powerful, period. That's it. Might makes right. 
But from the beginning, it was not so. Man and woman both share the image of God. And their relationship before sin comes is supposed to be one that's very harmonious. They become one. So there's no competition between them. They both reflect the image of God in a way when they're united. They, they reflect the image of God as a man and as a woman. But when united, they reflect the image of God also in a way that's unique. Male and female, right? Man's leadership is established in the garden. The Bible teaches us that the order of creation establishes that the man is supposed to be the leader. It says that also that the woman was taken from the man to establish, again, his headship role. The woman was made for the man and not the man for the woman. And also, man was not made for man. In other words, Jesus, the Bible says that God, after he made Adam, said it is not good for him to be alone. Remember, Adam has no sin. So dissatisfaction and difficulties are not part of his life. Sickness is not part of his life. And and you might think if if I I could just be happy alone. And God says, you could be except for I didn't make you to be alone. And it's not good for you to be alone. So I'm going to make a mate suitable for you. And he did not make a man he made a woman a complementary human being and the two equal in value but different in role and function complement each other he didn't make a woman for a woman or a man for a man for marriage male and female from the beginning fourth God performs marriages God performs marriages Jesus said what God has joined together, right? That means that every marriage, Jesus says it 2,000 years later or 1,500 years after Moses wrote this, Jesus says uh, to the Pharisees, the reason why you shouldn't divorce your wives is because God has joined you together. They might have thought, well, when I got married, I didn't remember seeing God there. Well, he was there invisibly saying, yep, you're joined so there's many ways we join together, obviously. There's, there's the, the changing of names, the wearing of rings, there's ceremonies, there's the way we dress, there's obviously the marriage bed, all these ways we, we do it. But God, invisibly, joins. That's amazing. Um, in the old formulas of marriage, the... the the efficient always said something like, uh, holy matrimony, right? Sac- it was a sacred thing. Why? Because God is showing up for the service. And he's joining us together. Joined. And, and obviously, again, God does not show up and join two men together in marriage because that is not marriage. You might say, yes, it is. No, it isn't. He won't do it. Gay marriage is a is a carnival parade of humans who are thumbing their noses at God. But he is not saying, okay, I'm going to tie you together. No, no, you're playing pretend. But let's go, let's get away from that and think more of the fact that if God joins us together, Jesus', Jesus answer was, then let no man separate. We're used to those words, right? I say them every time someone gets married. Well, God has joined together, let no one separate. Okay, or no man or whoever or whatever. But think, uh, think about this. 
why is it, why would you go to jail for a very, very, very long time if you destroyed the Mona Lisa? If you went to wherever the Mona Lisa is, probably somewhere in France, those French like to steal all the art and keep it on their own walls and (laughs) get tourist dollars. So you go and you see the Mona Lisa. If you destroy the Mona Lisa, you're going to jail. Now, if you come into my house, I have some paintings on my wall, you destroy one of those, you probably won't go to jail. Maybe we go to petty court. Maybe we just deal with it right then. No one gets too upset. But if you destroy the Mona Lisa, you go to jail. Why? Because it was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. And da Vinci is, is valued as great among men. It, and, and he cannot, it, since he made it, you do not destroy it. In fact, if you found, if you were in da Vinci's old house and in his attic and you found some of his drawings, you know, hey, look what I found. <laughs> you wouldn't rip them up. Why? Because da Vinci's hand made them. So if God joins together marriage, do you not think it is the greatest of offenses to him that you tore it apart? Because da Vinci's nowhere near as valuable as God. You see, marriage is sewn by God into the garment of humanity. We think of it as so individual. It's not. It's part of being human, and God just sews it together. This is what it means to be human. Don't tear it apart. All right, fifth implication is the fall into sin ruined the plan. Okay? <laughs> so um, we're, we're talking in, in, in God's plan, God's ideals, if you will, uh, God's perfect desire for us. Uh, God's desire is always perfect. You don't have to add perfect, but you know what I mean. Well, sin ruined it. Adam and Eve fell into sin, and the sin became Adam's responsibility, not Eve's. You might think, well, that's not fair. She sinned first. It doesn't have to be fair. He's in charge. He blew it. He, he bears the responsibility. Adam, as the head of the whole human race, shared that sin with you. That's why we say human beings are born in sin. When you're a little bitty baby, you've done no bad deeds. It's hard to hold anything against you. But if you let a baby grow up to the point that they know good and bad, they will do bad. Why? Because they're a son or daughter of Adam. And he's passed it on. We do not naturally obey God. We naturally rebel. And that fall affects everything. It affects our minds, it affects our bodies, it affects our desires, it affects our ability to be healthy in any way, and it affects the whole earth. So does that mean sin erased our humanity, we no longer bear the image of God, and therefore marriage itself has been erased? No. It's shattered, it's broken, it's marred, but the image of God is, is still there. Um, our Everybody, I hope, is good friend Ravi Zacharias, you may have heard, is went home. Uh, the doctor said, go home, you're going to die of cancer. And the Lord is good, he'll care for him. But he, he would say of mankind after the fall in the image of God that he, we had a shattered visage. A shattered visage, he would say. <laughs> we, 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 we bore the image of God perfectly and now it's shattered, but it's still there. So sin does not eliminate... Adam and Eve, male or female, nor marriage. But it does make it a lot more complicated. (laughs) Sin marred marriage. Sin crippled marriage. Loneliness becomes a very real option in the human race as soon as sin enters in. We're all lonely. 
to a certain extent. Life without marriage becomes much more of a possibility. Um, Death will end marriage, obviously. Adultery becomes a thing. Imagine Adam and Eve before the fall, if there had been other humans already, they would have had zero temptations. They were one. Now it's a thing. A harmonious union, even between two people who love each other and want to stay together, becomes difficult because all of a sudden that woman I married is a sinner. (laughs) And that man she married is also a sinner. And we have ways of being petty and selfish and, and communication gets hard, even in good marriages. Everything becomes harder. And sexual desire becomes twisted and perverted. In, in, in every way it can be twisted and perverted. And that act, which is at the center of the physical union, uh, becomes broken. Wrong desires come up. God's good plan looks like this. A man and a woman are to join. Now think about it. There was no sin ever in the human race. Man and a woman join. They're one. And they create babies. And those babies marry others. And they join. They create. You raise children to love God. And they marry others. Then you, you see, if society spreads out like that, what you see is, is a quilt. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's deeper than a quilt. It's more like a net. It's a, it's a, it's a network of healthy cells. <laughs> and what is the cell? Marriage. The current attack on marriage is an attack on humanity. Right? The, the current attack's been going on for decades, by the way. Gay marriage is just the crescendo. <laughs> it's not the beginning. It started long ago. That's just the crescendo. Now marriage is nothing at all. And what is that? That's Satan attacking us, getting us to believe lies. All of it's broken. God, say it another way, God made marriage the central arrangement of humanity. Therefore, listen to me, listen. Divorce is war on human thriving. People think, we've got to get the environment right so we can thrive. And I have to learn how to live well so we can thrive. I have to uh, eat the right proteins and not more carbs so I can thrive. I, I've got to wear a mask and wash my hands so we can thrive. No, the biggest attack on human thriving is it's not the environment. It's not disease. It's not bad food. The biggest attack is divorce and lack of marriage, really. When you divorce, it's like pulling the wings off a bird. That's what it's like to humanity. Right? Um, Marriage is devalued in our day and unimportant. It was devalued in Jesus' day and it's devalued in ours. People live as, and Christians live as married when they're not. Uh, It is an affront. Why shouldn't we live together? We're going to get married anyway. Because you're insulting your God and your humanity and it's an abomination. And, and woman, if he's not going to lead you before you're married in a godly way, why do you think he'll lead you later? It, people should not live as married with those they're not married to. I don't know, in our society, this seems like a normal thing, right? And I'm talking mainly to Christians who should behave. Non-Christians aren't going to behave. 
People change husbands and wives. Men want to marry men. That's an abomination to God. Women want to marry women. And people today, even Christians, say, well, what's the big deal? Live and let live. Why? Because we look at everything as autonomous. Everything goes back to me. I'm God. You're God. We can all be God. Why does there got to be a God who's God? You can be God. We can all be God. We can all do what we want. That's the human spirit today. And it's wrong. Just live and let live. We look at marriage as modeling clay. You can shape it however you want and throw it away when you're done. We can have an open marriage. But to God, marriage is sewn into the fabric of what it means to be a female or a male. It is, it is sewn in the fabric of, of societal continuance, perpetual. This is how you get babies, Anderson Cooper. You don't steal them from a woman and take away their mother. You don't steal them. You're breaking society. This is how you do it. This is how you keep the race going. (laughs) And when we look at marriage and male and female and sex, it's ugly. But there's good news. We're not ending on ugly. We're not ending ending on ugly. No way. There's good news and there's beauty. So number six is God redeems marriage. How? By saving the world. And I mean marriage as an institution. Yes, he can redeem your marriage that shattered, but he may not because he's dealing with two free agents who may not cooperate. (laughs) But he can if you'll cooperate. But he redeems marriage as a whole. How? By saving the world. Now, be prepared now to just stretch your mind open. No, not your mind. Your mind is open. Stretch your vision. Uh, Once you look at all mankind, all the Bible, and all the world history, because the Bible has one story running through it. And I'm going to tell that story in a way that it's probably not told very often, if ever, maybe sometimes. <laughs> but here's the plot of the story. Ready? The story is, once upon a time, there was a woman who was loved by and engaged to and promised to a great and good man. But she's a slutty girl, and she doesn't love him back. She leaves him. He pursues her time and again. He could ditch her. He doesn't. And in her anger, she rejects him all the more. She mocks him. She laughs in his face and laughs behind his back. She goes for any and every man she can find who's not him. But the husband does not give up on her. Instead, he pursues her wherever she goes. And then, when she is thoroughly ruined, her youthful beauty has left her. She's ugly and lonely and diseased and suffering. And she has sold herself into slavery long ago. She's at her ugliest. He finds her. And he chooses to pay the price to free her. And the price is high. It costs him all he has, even his life. But he's a powerful, powerful husband. And after dying, he raises from the dead. And having paid the price to free his bride, because of his great love for her, he transforms her from a faithless, disgusting, hateful hag into a beautiful and lovable, glorious bride worthy of himself that he presents to himself 
And the story ends in a marriage ceremony with a great celebration and the anticipation of a glorious future. The great and loving husband and his beautiful redeemed bride then, ready for this, live happily ever after. Every fairy tale that ends happily ever after is closer to true than than any book you can read, (laughs) except the Bible. This is the story of the Bible. It's a story about a marriage. God is pursued his bride, mankind, in sin. And he died for us on a cross when he could have done away with us. He rose from the dead, and having paid for our sin, he says, Come to me, my bride. And any who comes to him is born again and becomes one with him. And, the, and at the, it, read the end of the Bible, it ends in a wedding. Jerusalem has the bride coming down. As a by the way, Disney has gotten away from this motif. Um, you know, you had, you had uh, Beauty and the Beast and, and uh, Snow White and Sleeping Beauty. And uh, I don't know, uh, that little mermaid, did, she, did that end a wedding, a mermaid? I don't remember. Did, 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 no, it didn't. Yeah, they were already getting away from it, right? But the, the idea, because they don't want women to be oppressed. They want women to not need a man and be able to make everything into ice. Oh, for goodness sake, right? They want little bitty girls to control gods on, on, on surfboards because girls can be powerful too. And they think they're liberating women. But boy, they've lost the formula. <laughs> Their stories are on the edge of glory before. You're the lovely woman pursued by the strong and they overcame evil together and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> That's the story of the Bible, folks. It resonates with the human spirit. The sternest feminist caught alone watching a chick flick may shed a tear <laughs> when the two come together. Now you might say, nah, that's not the story of the Bible. I'm pretty sure the Bible is simply a book about laws teaching us how to behave by an oppressive buzzkill of a God who doesn't like fun. <laughs> and, and, they, and then all the people who love the Bible just want to oppress the people with rules. <laughs> nope, you're wrong. Um, I can't read the whole Bible right now, but the story is in every book. But let me show you. Just read Ruth. <laughs> but let me show you the, uh, just a glimpse from the Old Testament before Christ and the New Testament after Christ was born, right? From the Old Testament, there's a guy named Hosea. God tells him, marry this woman. She's a prostitute and she's not loyal. Love her and marry her. And he does it. Tough marriage there. Guys, if you think you have a tough marriage, consider Hosea and don't quit. <laughs> she was very unfaithful, Hosea's wife. She had an attractive name, Gomer. Right? That's not good. He married a a hussy. (laughs) Um, She had a couple kids with him, and then she went out with the other men again and actually got enslaved to a pimp again. What did he do? Did he divorce her? He could have. He had the exception. He did not divorce her. He pursued her, and he bought her back. Why did God have Hosea do that? To show his love for Israel. Israel, who represents those chosen ones that he loves. 
God called Israel unfaithful and wicked like a wife who portrayed her husband. In Hosea, Hosea prophesying for God, listen to what God says about salvation at the end of time. This is God speaking, and look at the metaphor he uses. He says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness. I will speak tenderly to her. There I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre. I'm going to go get this horrible woman, he's saying, her door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. That's a false god. For I will remove the names of the Baals, or the false gods, from her mouth. And they shall be remembered no more, by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, as in this, and the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you later. I'm going to... The the groom not only wins the bride, he gives her a safe earth. When the Lord comes back, we get a new heaven and a new earth, and no sin is allowed there because it's safe for his bride, and you will lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever, and I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, And you shall know the Lord. Well, there it is. Clear prophecy. It hasn't happened yet, right? We haven't got to the point where war is no more and the world is a safe place. But the metaphorical language is clear. It's one of romance. It's husband and wife. It's marriage. But it hasn't been fulfilled. You might say, well, well, (laughs) that is metaphorical language. Can you do any better than that? Yes, I can. Let's look in Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Testament. Apostle Paul teaching us about what uh, the gospel that Jesus taught him says this, Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives, love your wives husbands, <laughs> what if she's awful, I don't care, love her anyway, Hosea had to love his wife, but he doesn't go to Hosea, he says as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so here we see the groom, not metaphorically any longer, Uh, as God in Israel, but now we have Jesus love the church by dying on a cross to take our sins away, right? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. That's the picture of a wedding. Jesus, at the end of time, it says the bride of Christ comes down from heaven and the wedding supper of the Lamb is among us. So the Father presents the bride to the groom. Father God, God the Son, and she doesn't have spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The church, this, this church that's battered throughout history and makes mistakes and then gets back up, we're going to be perfect. You know, it says in Revelation, don't have time for all this, but I'll throw it in, that our beautiful white garment will be the righteous deeds of the saints. She, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, this, this is about Jesus and the church, isn't it? And in that, because of that, Paul works backwards. That's why husbands should love their wives. He really makes the husband loving the wife into a magical event. (laughs) 
it's, it's much bigger than just getting along, happy wife, happy life, which I agree with, but um, it's much bigger than that. It's a spiritual event. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. You shouldn't beat your wife. You shouldn't put tires around your wife and set her on fire, as can happen in some countries. You shouldn't make her wear a burqa and, and, and whip her in public. No, it's your own body. He, if you love your wife, you love yourself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. You, you don't wake up in the morning and stab yourself in the foot with a fork. No, you, you scratch your little feet and put a sock on it. No, you don't, you, you don't hate your own flesh. You nourish, you cherish it. And you know how you do it? You're supposed to do it just as Christ. Christ does that to the church. It's his body. He takes care of us because we're members of his body. Now watch what happens here. As you read it, put red in your eyes because this is, he's going to quote Jesus and he's also going to quote Genesis. Ready? He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis, isn't he? And in in speaking of the creation of the world, listen to what Paul says about it. This mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So what Paul is revealing to us is that when God made Adam and Eve and he instituted marriage as as the fabric of society, of humanity, at that moment he was talking about Christ and the church. He knew Adam and Eve would fall into sin. He knew their marriage wouldn't last but it didn't matter because he was talking about Christ in the church. Therefore, we speak as if marriage is metaphorical. It's not. The marriage in heaven is, we think, well, that's metaphorical, Christ in the church. The real marriage is here, uh, me and my wife, right? We have it backwards. It's that's completely backwards. This is the metaphor. <laughs> this marriage on earth is the reflection. The true marriage is in heaven. That's what he's saying. He's saying this mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. You see that? What's it mean? <laughs> Boy, it means everything. In, in two minutes, I'm going to give you nine things it means. One, it means that every marriage between a man and a woman is sacred to God because it tells the story of all of life. Two, it means that we should avoid divorce, if at all possible. Three, it means we should see, listen to this, all sex outside of marriage as an evil and personal assault on the holiness of God. All Strip club going to, all porn, all fornication, all sex outside of a, an adult male and female in a monogamous, a monogamous relationship is a personal assault on the holiness of God. Four, it means that men should not give up on faithless wives. Men, <laughs> women often need a divorce to get away from an abusive man. They need to, and they should. Uh, but men are to lead. And there is a stronger responsibility on them than the wife to stick to that marriage if she's not faithful. Um, just because she's not faithful, well, she broke the rule. I can take the exception rule. No, you should stick with her if she'll stick with you. Why? Because you play the role of Jesus. You know, well, I, I, that's too hard. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's hard. And you're not going to do it right. But that's what you have to do. You have a faithless wife, pursue her. Unless she marries another. Five, it means that women should honor their husbands. Yep, there is submission to that leadership. He can't force, coerce, beat, or oppress. Of course, all those things are wrong. But there is nothing at all 
misogynistic, no matter what Beth Moore says, about male headship. You play, ladies, the role of the church, who is not forced by Jesus to do what is right, but lovingly serves him. And you should do the same for your husband. Six, it means that God so loved you and I that he gave his only begotten son to save you. In the story of this marriage is your individual salvation. You're not saved because you do good. He pursued you when you were awful, all right? And he made you good by his death. Seven, it means that sin does not dissuade his pursuit of you. <laughs> so if, if, if he'll chase mankind throughout history to win those of us who come to him, uh, trust me, there's no individual sin you've done that he says, well, can't fix you. The blood of Christ is powerful to wash away all sin. Eight, it means that the story of earth really ends well for you and me. We may be wringing our hands now. What are the Chinese going to do? What are the Democrats going to do? Maybe one or two of you say, what are the Republicans going to do? I don't know. Uh, it's Armstrong County. <laughs> We're in Indiana, Butler County. We, and forget the politics. My point is, you may be wringing your hands. But you don't have to. The world ends really well for you. Finally, what it means is today is a day for joy and not guilt. Yeah, a sermon that ends without telling you to feel guilty for being lousy at reading your Bible, bad in your prayer life, and not sharing the gospel enough. You thought that was the only way a sermon can end. Well, you're wrong. This is a day to not feel guilty if you follow Jesus. To look forward and say, man, it's going to end well. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't want to break into uh, to, to, the sun will come out tomorrow. You know, I don't want to go there, but, well, maybe I do. <laughs> My friends, I have good news. Everything is going to be okay. Now, if you're not a believer yet, good news is potential for you, not actual. And you need to choose to love Jesus back. A bride that will never yield to her groom is never a bride. And a person who never yields to Jesus is never saved. It's time to yield. Stop running away from being a Christian and run to Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I pray that you would fill Christians with hope and joy as they look into the future and see what you've done and are doing. God, for people in difficult marriages who love you, I pray your, your Holy Spirit just falls down on the men and they see themselves as as you, patient and loving, and falls down on the women, and they see themselves as the role of the spirit-filled church, honoring their husbands. And I pray for the lonely, those who, because of this broken world, don't have a wife, don't have a husband, or they had one and it's gone. And I pray you comfort them, letting them know there's no loss. In your kingdom there is no loss. You will repair that in the earth to come, and that you love them now. Most of all, Lord, I pray for those who have yet to join you. And I ask that they would call out to you today and say, Lord, who loves, have mercy on me, a sinner. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. 
For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.